Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hey everyone! Wow, how has time flied? I know it's been a while. I've been settling in back at home in the states, and two incredible things have happened in the last two months. So first, this podcast has reached over two thousand downloads with listeners all over the world. It's just so amazing to me that this passion project has grown this big. So. Thank you so much again for being here and for tuning in. The second piece of news is that just last month, I've actually replaced my old monthly tech salary and have doubled it in my coaching business, which just blows my mind. And it's something that I wanted to share with all of you as an example of what's possible. I feel like I am redefining my money stories and limiting beliefs as a creative entrepreneur all the time, and this is just the beginning. On a related note of finances, on this episode we have Denise Wang as our guest. She used to be a VP at BlockRock, who managed multi-billion-dollar relationships across BlockRock's product spectrum. And have quit her job to become a co-founder at Unique Career, an education technology platform for international talents and students. So on this episode, we talk all about how to break into a new industry by staying true to our passions, how to turn a side gig into a full-time career, especially if you're in financial services, and how to build relationships and credibility as a Asian American. Enjoy. Hey Denise, welcome to the show. Hi Yunjo, thanks for having me. I'm super excited that you're here, and love that the listeners get to hear my actual Chinese name too. So, first, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, what career you were in, and what you're up to now? Yeah,、um, super excited to be on the show.、Uh, so my name is Denise, but my Chinese name is Danye, like Kanye with a D.、Uh, but I go by <laughs> Denise for the purpose of this、uh, interview. I grew up in China, so I finished high school up until I'm 18. I was lucky enough to have gotten into Yale University, studied economics and international studies. It was definitely an eye-opening experience,、um, kind of a self-discovery journey.、Uh, because to be honest, when I grew up,、um, my parents were very academic-driven, and my dad was、yeah. an aeronautical engineering professor. I'm sure, being Asian, you can relate.、Uh, I was really thinking about、uh, majoring in engineering or computer science, but Yale being Liberal arts education. It was very much about discovering yourself, interacting with people, broadening broadening your horizons. So I kind of switched to social science and humanities, which really paid off well because、uh, I do want to share this one quick story. When I was a、mm-hmm. freshman and I was debating my major,、um, whether to go into computer science or anything else. I was pulling an all-nighter debugging a computer programming assignment, and I was、mm. just sitting there and wondering what I could have done, talking to people instead. And I made a lifetime decision、uh, that has a huge impact for me going forward. And I told myself, you know what? I would rather be dealing with people than dealing with machines.、Uh, I know every single person is different, but for me.、Uh, Human interaction was very, very important to me, and that impacted、uh, my career choices in a very profound way later on. So,、uh, at Yale,、um, it was interesting. I I actually took a gap year when I finished my sophomore、mm. semester. I went back to China because I always wanted to do something cross border. Connecting people, culture, different business opportunities,、um, but I felt like I didn't have enough exposure back in China.、Uh, so I took a gap year. I went back to Beijing, and I did a variety of different things, from teaching to、uh, helping with internet companies to nonprofit. I really、uh, get more understanding of the society and how business or run. And eventually, when I graduated in 2008, we all know financial crisis hit. 
most of my classmates were still uh, driven by investment banking or consulting, although a lot of these opportunities were not hiring as much at the time. Very similar to what we're experiencing these days with, I guess, coronavirus right. and a lot of other um, international complications and the whole immigration, immigration policy. So um, for me, it wasn't as easy to break into financial services. And, and I wasn't that sure I really want financial services. What I did know I want was client-facing experiences uh, where I can solve mm. problems and bridge gaps. And luckily, I studied Japanese when I was in uh, middle school oh, back wow. in China. So I actually got into BlackRock by going to the Boston Bilingual Career Fair, uh, which is English and Japanese at the time. That's I believe so interesting. The, I know. I believe the uh, career fair is still ongoing the, uh, these years, but 10 years ago, actually, gosh, 15 years ago, almost, it was, <laughs> it was, it was one of the uh, most, it was one of the uh, pr premier uh, international career fairs, and all the uh, top firms were recruiting, but most of the positions were offered in places like Tokyo or Hong Kong or Singapore, uh, maybe only 2% were actually uh, US-based. And BlackRock, uh, now today, the largest asset manager, uh, but at the time was uh, still relatively domestic-oriented, but really developing their international strategy, wanted to expand their team based in New York, servicing uh, international institutional clients. And me coming from a multi-culture, uh, multilingual background, uh, kind of really play into that well. So I actually broke in by broke into uh, asset management, client facing industry by staying true to my passion, not blindly breaking into finance, but really mm. thinking about client facing and the value I can add. And my gap year back in China, actually, um, I really uh, contributed to it, just given I'm more mature compared to maybe some mm -hmm. of the other fresh grad. Uh, and uh, also, I guess, show up to opportunities. I did not get into BlackRock by going through standard uh, recruiting process back at Yale. Career service at Yale was amazing, but BlackRock uh, wasn't actively hiring at Yale at the time. Uh, but I took a chance and um, went to Boston for this, uh, I guess, bilingual career fair uh, and, you know, love at first sight or something. But uh, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was um, great conversations it actually felt less of an interview throughout the process great people throughout the process but um it was it, it was awesome it was a very international team people from all mm -hmm. of the place not just uh from asia uh and uh i spent almost nine years with blackrock until i eventually mm -hmm. transitioned to becoming an entrepreneur but um yeah like most of my career uh so far was very much related to client facing and cross-border activities and a bit of finance uh, and um, mm. sorry, I feel like I'm kind of going through a long-winded way of answering the question, but uh, actually three years ago, um, I was, to be honest, debating if I should continue to climb the corporate ladder at BlackRock. I had uh, a great opportunity. I was on the promotion list for director uh, after wow. uh, two and a half years uh, for VP, but I also started Unicurer as a side gig um, mm -hmm. back in 2014, 2015-ish. And um, 2016, we actually ended up raising Series A. Um, I, wow. I'm the co-founder of the company, but my CEO uh, relocated back to China and we did a pretty significant uh, raise back in China. So it was a choice whether or not I mm -hmm. want to come out and pursue an entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and at the time, I realized that um, BlackRock was a great firm, uh, but I've been there for almost nine years. Uh, it's a great journey for myself, but I'm also open to new challenges and, and really, really want that ownership. Um, and, you know, you know, in corporate America, and, and I'm sure you talk to a, a lot of uh, the folks on your show, but uh, corporate America, I mean, as much as, especially for Asians or Asians Americans, right, as much as we work hard or even get on high profile projects, um, gaining exposures from senior management, um, but be it about glass ceiling or bamboo ceiling, whatever ceiling mm -hmm. it is, it's not always your decision, right? It's not always your choice. Yeah. Uh, so um, part of me was also like, 
yes, do I have a clear career path with BlackRock? Most likely, yes, if I stick around. Mm -hmm. But with an entrepreneurial path, I probably have much more control. Um, Also a lot more work, obviously, but (laughs) a lot more control. Um, And I think that comes with obviously both challenges, but also excitement and very rewarding um, journey. So I yeah, that's kind of, so, so toward the end of 2016, early um, 17, I decided to leave BlackRock. Um, and today I, I spend most of my time running uh, Unicur, uh, but also with some other cross-border uh, fundraising or capital allocation advisory. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So you answered all of the questions that I have for you in the okay. beginning section, <laughs> can, which is we great. We can expand, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I guess yeah. it's a comprehensive overview of my journey. <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. What what, you know, really, I feel like really stands makes you stand out for other people. What is that like you um, you didn't like you said, like blindly go into finance. You seem like the type of person that is pretty intentional and creates opportunities for yourself. So I'm not surprised that, you know, you went towards the entrepreneurial routes. Something that I think when I'm working with Asian career changers, uh, before they leave their job, there's often this fear of, you know, lack of financial security. And for you, especially, you were in such a stable position, like such a prestigious position, you know, high up there. So as you were, you know, debating whether to stay at BlackRock or continue on your startup, um, what helped you work through like any of these fears that you had? Yeah, to be honest, I was lucky in a way that uh, I did not have to make a decision on day one. Um, I, I did say that mm. uh, Unicur was a side gig for me for over a year. Mm-hmm. So that uh, actually gave me a, a lot of room to get comfortable. Um, and the other mm. fact that I, I wasn't the CEO, I, I, I've been a co-founder. Uh, and I guess maybe from a CEO's perspective, uh, he or she needs to be ultimately responsible for the whole enterprise uh, and really needs to be the face when it comes to investor relations and a lot of other things. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, uh, I come from a perspective where, uh, especially in the space that Unicore is in, career development and job placing for international talents, obviously I've been there, done that. I have a lot of relationships who can serve as initial mentors on the platform. And also uh, I've been on the other end of the table. So part of my career, I I was extremely thankful for BlackRock, not just for my day job as an institutional sales, but also for the opportunities the platform gave me from a recruiting perspective. I was on the recruiting panel for the last five years I was with the firm, uh, the initial driver was like, how come BlackRock does not has a recruiting effort at a place like Yale? So I really uh, try to motivate the recruiting team to go back to Yale. And then I was very involved, involved in diversity and inclusion uh, and female from a gender perspective and also Asian from a multicultural perspective. So uh, I was on uh, what BlackRock called WIN, so Women Initiative Network, which is essentially the, the Women Employee Network at BlackRock. I was on the recruiting committee and external partnership committee uh, respect, respectively for a couple of years. And kind of coming from BlackRock's res- perspective as a recruiter or an interviewer, uh, there were definitely thousands of resumes that went through my table. Uh, and there were phone interviews, video interviews, and face-to-face super day interviews that I've done. And there were closed door conversations, behind the scene discussions, debriefing sessions, quote unquote, that you got to have with uh, other recruiters, uh, the HR business partners, sometimes with your managers and manager directors of the department. Uh, And I got to finally realize why certain candidates are being rejected and why certain candidates move on. And that's that kind of insider perspective, even like looking back to my own career and thinking back when I was a student, I definitely made a lot of mistakes that I was completely unaware. So I guess mm-hmm. two realizations there. One is self-awareness is so important, but none of the recruiters or interviewers at Corp- Corporate America uh, are obligated to provide you with that level of feedback. Uh, most of the rejections from interviews turns out just to be 
you know what, it's a very competitive role. You are a great candidate, but we decided to pass, right? Um, yes. And I've received that uh, being on the other end when I was a student. Um, so uh, realizing that there was a huge gap, uh, not just between cultures and language and, you know, target school, non-target school, but also just those 30 minutes when you're sitting in front of a recruiter, either over phone, video, or face-to-face, a lot of things could have done wrong, maybe even the tiny things that rub the recruiter the wrong way that you're not even aware. Uh, so I mm-hmm. felt it's tremendous, tremendously valuable to start a platform where we can be on the candidates, or the student side, and to provide more to-the-point feedback and be much more candid with the process and not necessarily representing corporate America's view. Um, so that's kind of the foundation of where Unicare was created. And, and, and it's interesting, like you, you asked a question about uh, a lot of people found it challenging to uh, move from a, I guess, employee's mindset or, uh, you know, high profile working professional uh, to an entrepreneur. For yeah. me, uh, obviously, talent development has been my passion, just given, I guess, my track record of getting very involved. But more importantly, um, it is a problem that I wanted to solve for myself for the longest time. So I read a lot of blogs. Yes, was, yes. Even after I got into BlackRock, because getting an offer is not the end of the journey. It's only the beginning. So from my perspective, even mm-hmm. after I got into BlackRock, I was very curious, how can I move from an analyst to associate? How do I move to VP? How do I get on high profile uh, opportunities? So I was reading a lot of contents. I actually wrote a blog myself in English, which actually served as the foundation of some of the content that when Unicorn first got launched, that we were kind of pushing to our audience. So um, I guess full circle coming back to the transition, for me, it was slightly easier given I started off as it's kind of a side gig. So I didn't have to immediately face the financial challenge of mm. maybe making zero for a good couple of months. Uh, and second, um, it has always been my passion and a problem I want to solve for myself. And third, I guess it's um, something that I have wanted to develop for a while as well but I kind of haven't met the right people who probably have the same commitment or even a stronger commitment than myself who happens to be the CEO of Unicare like my co-founder Barbara Yu who's now spending most of her time in China Uh, so when when I eventually met her um, the stars aligned right a lot of things fall to place and I was also thinking that um, my career at BlackRock can kind of have, I wouldn't say at the highest point, but have also stretched out quite a bit. Um, I might have much bigger potential if I create something else. Mm, I think you've brought up such great points, especially the fact that you actually started this for a whole year. Cause something that I often hear clients say is like, what if this doesn't go anywhere? Or, you know, what if it doesn't work out? But sometimes the key is just to start an experiment and see where, you know, see what happens, especially if it's your passion. Like, it's perfectly fine to work on it for a while before you make this. Yeah, and definitely, for sure. Like, I feel like, uh, especially for people who are privileged or have um, been through more corporate development trainings, and um, mm. we always weigh our options. And um, I, I am the same. I weigh my options, and sometimes I spend more time thinking about a potential opportunity mm-hmm. uh, than actually doing it or you know, focusing on execution. But especially when it comes to the entrepreneurial world or startup world, everybody have great ideas. Um, you differentiate yeah. and you win by really executing it. And you almost always have to pivot as you grow. From Unicor's perspective, we've been around uh, five, six years, and um, I, I can't even number how many times that we pivot. There were big pivots, there were smaller fine tunes, but we kind of always progress uh, not to deviate, but figure out kind of the best strategy given the current environment. Uh, 2020, I mean, this year is actually a perfect example. Given previously, mm-hmm. we do a combination of online events and offline events to really drive the FaceTime and the comfort and the trust for our potential students to come onto our platform. 
but now with coronavirus situation, uh, most almost all of the events are canceled and have to move online, and we have to quickly adjust for that. So uh, I think part of the skill of being an entrepreneur is obviously you have to anticipate potential challenges, but I guess more importantly, no matter what happened, there are things you can control, there are things you cannot control, and when things you cannot control happen, uh, you really need to manage your expecta uh, expectations and also reactions to it, and not just yourself, but also your team, your stakeholders, uh, your potential partners. Uh, so it's really more about thinking from an equal system perspective and not just about okay i need to get this one task done or uh, you know i need to get another promotion uh, so it's a very different mindset but um I, I i'm enjoying it so far that's awesome let's talk about the skills for a bit more so you know you mentioned that you study economics at yale and then you did um finance at and asset management at blackrock and then now you have this at tech company so how are you able to learn those more entrepreneurial skills and if there was imposter syndrome for you <laughs> um i'm not <laughs> sure about imposter syndrome per se but um i you know what i mentioned about self-awareness is very important so i think for any single human being um from a career development perspective you want to figure out three things right one um what are you good at to what are you really interested in? And finally, uh, the demands of the society where you can make money, right? And the intersection of all three would be a great starting point or where you can focus a lot of your energy. So I guess from my perspective, um, being an entrepreneur, you, you need to constantly enhance and develop your skills, uh, but there are, things and this is one thing I realized when I was at Yale uh, which I was so thankful although at the time I struggled with it uh, in my sophomore year because growing back in China um, the standards of success was relatively well defined and uh, you kind of had a clear path uh, being number one, being top three, applying to the best middle school, best high school, uh, going overseas, uh, attending competitions, uh, whatever, right? But at Yale, it was the first time that I was being exposed to so many options. And to be honest, I was both excited, but also overwhelmed and confused. And after making choices again and again from what kind of extracurricular activities I should spend time on to different internship choices to even my major, because for the first two years, I didn't have to uh, decide on a major. Uh, I don't really have to announce until uh, junior year, at least when I was at uh, the college. So it was a learning process of choosing is the same as giving up. So you're choosing certain options, you're giving up on other options. And it was the first time in my life that I realized it's impossible for me to good at everything. There were certain things that I have a natural strength in that maybe I don't have to spend a whole lot of time, but I would develop it significantly, even just if I spent a little bit of time. And there were things, no matter how much I try, um, I'm probably only going to be mediocre. So I think part of it, uh, being an entrepreneur, is to realize where the gaps and put the right people around you to help you develop a more well-rounded capability to keep an enterprise growing. So I think um, probably the most important <laughs> A skill set is is to to make better decisions, and what goes <laughs> into better decisions is a combination of self awareness and also understanding of other people. Mm. Oh man, you brought up so many good points. <laughs> um, but it just makes me think a lot about like opportunity costs or in economic terms, right? Like whatever you say yes to, you're saying no to. So. Something that I tell my clients a lot is that when you say yes to the nine to five, like one more day to the nine to five, then you're saying no to that creative career that you want. And so even when you don't think you're choosing, you're actually choosing 
because every action you're basically choosing, um, there's no kind of like standing still. You're either moving closer towards your dreams or further away. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're a career coach, right? So I think probably the most important thing for anyone to make decisions is to first get clarity in terms of what they really want. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with having a nine to five or whatever corporate job. Um, there's prestige comes with it. There's financial stability. There's a lot of perks. And uh, yeah. I wouldn't say entrepreneurship is for everyone, but I think the opportunity cost here is that are you going to regret if you never even try? Mm, so good. Yeah. So I would, I would encourage people at least to try. You know what? I, I have friends here in uh, New York City and um, some of them are uh, mentors on Unicorns platform. And I know a couple of them have um, tried to be an entrepreneur uh, for a year or um, kind of starting multiple side gigs and eventually one of them panned out. Um, or they tried it one year, uh, went back to China, uh, did a bunch of things, uh, but eventually it did not work out. If you end in good terms with your uh, previous firm or at least the previous industry, um, you always have that option to come back. But I guess people need to feel comfortable um, in terms of at least for a full year or so um, having definitely less of an income. Uh, it could be zero, <laughs> um, but uh, there's definitely also a potential that within that year, you're going to develop something amazing and you're on a fast track and start raising capital. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I think the opportunity cost one is, um, yeah, what, what you, how much weight you put on what you already have. Uh, but the other end of the spectrum, which I think is uh, important and is underestimated by a lot of people, is that what could have happened, what could be, right? So I, I think whenever people are asking the question of why, uh, they should also ask themselves the question, why not? That's super good. And a really lightweight um, way to experiment and to try out is, that I recommend doing is side projects. So you can like literally just commit for 30 days and kind of try it out and see if that's the essence of the thing is actually what you enjoy. And I know you, you know, did your psychic for a whole year too. I think that just really shows that like you can absolutely do this in tandem with whatever job you're currently in. I mean, you were VP of BlackRock, so (laughs) it just shows that, I think it really shows that that's, it's completely possible to um, experiment on the side and then decide before you take the leap. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't say a lot of the corporate America, especially in financial services, that they would actively encourage you to take on side gigs. But I guess for mm. me, uh, it was a little bit of a special case because uh, Unicor had a bit of a nonprofit angle as well in terms of bringing in the international, especially the Asian uh, student and young professional community. Uh, and I used to run and, and still ongoing a lot of uh, nonprofit events and just to kind of educate the broader population about career development and job hunting strategies. Uh, so it's not always uh, directly related to uh, you know, generating profit, but um, that effort and also almost like community service uh, paid off and, and, and made it easier for me to have the conversation with uh, my manager at the time in terms of, oh, I maybe want to leave a bit early on Friday because I have a presentation uh, to deliver at Columbia University or NYU or I'm traveling to D.C. this weekend um, and, you know, that, that type of thing. Mm, gotcha. And what would you say was the hardest part about starting uni careers? I, I wouldn't say it's that hard to start. I felt like if it's not for my specific co-founder CEO, if I met someone else, or if eventually um, what I had in mind um, can materialize one way or another, uh, maybe it's not Unicare, but it's going to be something similar. So it has always been on my mind, and I kind of mm. gradually um, geared toward that direction already, and there's momentum to it. Uh, I think the harder part, even... Um, It's kind of a soft landing to me, given I had a year or so to prep myself, Um, but really transitioning myself to a entrepreneur 
and managing a team and making decisions that could um, be life or death, to be honest. Because when when we were in corporate America, uh, I mean, VP was kind of a uh, at least mid-career, pretty senior role in financial services, and I felt like I make make decisions every single day. But in retrospect, so the decisions are already made by senior management and department heads, and you're probably fo just focusing on delivering the day-to-day -day responsibilities, and you're probably making smaller decisions. Not to say it's not impactful, but it's not as life or death as the decisions you might be making as a real entrepreneur. Yeah, and I think there's something so powerful about making those opportunity or making those decisions and having full responsibility for those decisions because i think it really deepens your self-awareness um and not just your experience but there's so much growth involved too i remember you know my background isn't actually in marketing um i studied it in college and was working in marketing for about five years but the year that i built my business was probably the most I've learned about marketing and like the most I've learned about, you know, connecting with people and relationships than the last half decade. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, in, in Chinese, there's a phrase called 纸上谈兵, right? You, you never knew until you actually do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And how did you find or get to your first client for a unique career? Um, in the beginning, uh, nobody really know Unicorn as a brand, right? So a lot of time it's, you have to build that trust. And uh, so I myself coming out of Ivy League and uh, working at BlackRock definitely uh, give a high level of credibility into whatever insight I wanted to convey to them. And my co-founder, CEO of Unicor, um she spent most of her college and graduate studies back in China, Fudan and Tongji, uh, some of the top schools in Shanghai, but also an exchange student at Princeton University, um, and also was spending a couple of years at Morgan Stanley before coming out. So I guess uh, there's definitely a level of pedigree for us to do a business like this, because for kids who want to break into financial services, I guess for people who, who are uh, living in Silicon Valley, um, they're probably not mm -hmm. um, as crazy about the investment banking and financial services names, <laughs> but for a lot of these schools uh, in New York or uh, DC or Boston, mm -hmm. a lot of them uh, at least uh, five years ago, I, I guess nowadays uh, business analysts and data analysts and uh, software developer are really gaining a lot of popularities. Um, but a few years ago, it was still the world of in investment banking and consulting. Um, so I guess setting that example and having real cases and um, conveying real life stories uh, of how we got to where we were um, definitely had an impact on how these students trust our brand uh, and want to relate to us and even like want to become us to, to, to a certain level. Um, and once you had that trust um, and people are eager to get closer to their dreams, um, the profits and I guess the, the business income will come through. Mm. So this, this question, if you could get a little bit more specific about where they came from, this way that the listeners, you know, for people who are thinking about building a platform that connects people can kind of have an idea about, you know, how, what kind of marketing channels that is available to them. Got it, got it. Um, I guess I, I wouldn't be able to speak more broadly about marketing because uh, Unicor, given we almost work exclusively with international talents who are in college or graduate studies, um, reaching our students isn't as tough as some of the generic marketing. We actually did, mm. didn't have to do as much promotion on Facebook or Instagram as probably most of the marketers. Uh, and five years ago, uh, the growth of WeChat official accounts were just getting started. So a lot of our original marketing promotion was through WeChat official account and WeChat groups and then hosting events, uh, smaller scale events or free boot camps at 
different universities like NYU or Fordham or some of the DC universities like JHU or Boston, uh, Boston University, for example, where there are a lot of our target audience, meaning students from Asia. And um, I also talked about we kept evolving our business model. So in the beginning, we couldn't reach any institutional level of partnerships. So it really depends on who actually saw our story on WeChat or who happened to have a friend who was aware of the event and posted on their own moments so they saw. But uh, over time, we were able to partner with student organizations, the international office, uh, and more recently, even with career services, we were able to join some of the closed door career services events invited by our partner universities. So I think um, from a marketing channel perspective, in the very, very beginning, it's WeChat, uh, writing articles, creating content, uh, writing uh, actually delivering smaller events and word of mouth to later on more at an institutional level. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And it's just so amazing how you created this thing that you wish you had when you were, say, in college and now other people have the opportunity to have that sort of resource and help. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. It's, uh, I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs be become entrepreneurs because they want to first and foremost solve a specific problem for themselves so uh yeah like and and uh, it actually makes it easier for other people to relate to you right because you've really been there done that um, and whatever you're you're conveying can be more convincing that way mm, definitely yeah you know part of the reason why i started this podcast was because i wish there was a resource for you know, people of Asian backgrounds who want to change into creative careers. And how I became a career and business coach was really similar to like, I wish there was more mentors, more resources to guide going from a more traditional path to a more creative path. Yeah. So that definitely resonates. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for the work you do. Yeah, for sure. And I think Asian American community have so much potential uh, most of the existing organizations talking about uh, bamboo ceiling. More recently, mm -hmm. there were, um, I guess, more advocacy in the entertainment industry. Representation is important. Uh, but I feel like at the end of the day, uh, it's specific examples that people can give. Uh, why there were not as many females in the boardroom? Because there were not mm. as many examples there already right so it's only when you can be transparent and candid about real stories of people who have been there done that um, then people can relate and they can take the leap of faith mm, definitely so now wh what does success mean to you versus in the past <laughs> um i would love for an exit <laughs> as a founder uh, be it about acquisition or potentially IPO one day, there were some conversations with our uh, existing Series C investor that uh, we were actually planning to raise Series D uh, early this year, mm -hmm. but just given a COVID-19 situation, that process obviously has been delayed, but um, we're still progressing. So uh, I, I, I guess, and, and I don't know if other entrepreneurs are like this in any way. Um, there are entrepreneurs who want to do one thing and one thing for mm -hmm. life and they want to be the best in that specific category or vertical and for me um, I would love to be able to develop a few things and evolve into a few things so if um, if there is an opportunity for me to have a, a decent enough exit, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I haven't had a full-blown plan yet, but I wouldn't be surprised of myself if I kind of, um, you know, march into a second, third venture and be a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. At least for some people, for sure. So, yeah. So, I guess success for me is that uh, I've taken leap of faith once or I guess twice maybe, but um, I, I want to be able to continue to do it and hopefully march on to even bigger things.
Mm, I think that says a lot about comfort zones too. I think when we first start out, our comfort zones are very small and the bigger leaps that you take, the bigger your comfort zone gets. So some things that people are like, I can't believe, you know, for me, for example, I can't believe they, they'll say, you know, I can't believe you cried like on social media um, or shared a very vulnerable post or, you know, I can't believe you just quit your job and created your own learning bootcamp. It does feel very scary at the time, but once you have that experience in you, you're able to take you know, bigger and bigger actions and it will, it will be less scary. Yeah, yeah. And also I felt like um, align yourself with the people uh, whom, whose characters that you are, you can identify with not today, but tomorrow in the future. Um, because isn't there a a survey that um, your pay is essentially the average of six of your closest friends. So um, yeah, like six or, or five, it's probably, probably six, I kind of remember that. But um, what I'm trying to convey is that um, there are always gonna be people who um, say, your idea is stupid or you're giving up so much or you can't do it. Uh, but there are also other people who want to encourage you and actually give give you more insightful uh, suggestions or even you know provide resources. So I would encourage everyone, and I remind myself every day about that, um, to align yourself with people who can help you and motivate you to realize your vision versus those people who want to destroy you. And and they probably don't mean it. Uh, I wouldn't say people want to deliberately want to destroy each other, but there are certain personalities and some of them may, might be your friends um, who uh, unfortunately just um, don't have that level of courage or, or encourage you to take that leap of faith. And, and maybe, especially when it comes to your own decisions on career development, um, maybe you don't have to, to uh, uh, stay close to them, at least on that front. Mm, yeah, I'm just so thankful for my San Francisco tech experience because when you're in that space, being a founder is very much the norm, right? Like everybody, everybody you meet is founders. So for me, it was much easier to start my own company than say if I stayed in. So I grew up in Virginia, like a very small town in Virginia. If I stayed there, I think it would have been really, really um, difficult for me to start a company because I would probably be like the only one in in the space around me. Yeah, I feel like even in New York City, there has been a growing venture and startup scene, but it cannot compare to places like Silicon Valley or even LA or Seattle or Austin. Uh, most of the ecosystem in New York are still very much corporate America driven, but part of me felt that the current situation might push things to mm. another direction given um, a lot of people unfortunately have lost their jobs or have to rethink their career and people have been stuck at home and I'm yeah I'm sure a lot of people are rethinking. Mm, definitely I have a question for you which is I think from in hindsight right it can seem really easy in terms of oh like these are the dots that I connected like I think it can be really easy for someone to look at your story and say oh yeah it totally makes sense that you know Denise was able to successfully um, transition into her own business because she had you know all those background experience to into an Ivy League like XYZ but at the same time there's plenty of people who have Ivy League and who are, you know, top of the corporate ladder and they want to do something creative, but they choose to stay in whatever role they are in. So could you share a little bit more insight in terms of what helped you, you know, choose the more entrepreneurial side versus staying in your, staying in the, the last role that you were in? Because I think it was so easy for you to choose any like one or the other side and would have made perfect sense it it wasn't easy actually i've debated the longest time uh and part of me wish i have exited earlier or, or wish i would have mm. even started this before i met my co-founder or ceo i could there were opportunity windows even ahead of that so it wasn't easy i guess i'm 
when I was growing up, I used to envy the type of person who know exactly what they want to do and who know exactly what kind of major they want to choose. For me, it has always been a debate. Um, and talking about coaching, um, I actually have my mentors as well. And one of my ex McKinsey coach uh, recently have done a, I guess, personality or um, what are you good at? Kind of your your strongest suits type of uh, online quiz. And for me, yeah. the the top three, which I want to share with you, uh, are um, lifelong learning. That's the first one, and the second one is curiosity, and the third one is perspective. And perspective meaning. Um, a lot of people will come to me for advice that I'm eager to share my own experiences. So, so the top three are, are quite relevant uh, in terms of the careers I've chosen for myself and especially uh, Unicurse platform, right? So um, I guess for me, uh, it's not just about the ability to, to choose, but also the ability to live up to the expectation and the commitment of your choice. Right. Mm. So if you are not committed to a choice, you can choose to quit a job uh, for, for a day and you, um, you know, march onto something for 30 days. And maybe on 31 day, uh, you're going to have a, a lightning moment and you're going to start creating something amazing. But you didn't give yourself the commitment to really live through the pain a little bit longer. Um, so I guess. For me, um, I, I wouldn't say all my choices have been thought through. I think the phrase connecting the dots actually only live in hindsight. So what I mean by that is that when you are looking ahead of the time, um, you are making calculated bets. You are taking calculated risks, but you don't always know. Only when you're looking back in your own journey, you can make and connect all the dots. But if you are, if you train yourself to gather information in an effective manner and you have reached that level of self-awareness, you will be able to make smarter choices, not always good choices, but smarter choices and then you will be able to connect the dots further. So if I never studied Japanese uh, in middle school, I, prob I probably would not have gotten into Yale um, because by studying Japanese, I actually had international experiences when I was in middle school by spending some time in Japan. Um, so coming to the U.S. for college was my first experience coming to the U.S., but I did have other international exposure, which helped with my profile. If I didn't study Japanese, I would not have gotten into BlackRock because I would not have gotten to the Boston Bilingual Career Fair if I had not taken a gap year, which was because I actually struggled a bit in sophomore year because I was overwhelmed. I wasn't exactly sure what I really want to do. And I felt I didn't understand the Chinese business society well enough. So I wanted to take a break, mm. but I had no idea how this would actually relate to my future career choices. But in retrospect, uh, all the things connected the dots, right? So um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I guess, if you are, in the process of making decisions, I would encourage you not to spend too much time worrying about connect the dots. But if you're trying to break into a certain position, maybe you don't want to be an entrepreneur or you want to apply for a startup job, like maybe to be a co-founder or um, a head of marketing at a startup. When you are having the conversation with the entrepreneur at the time, you can frame your experiences um, in a way that you have connected all the dots. Um, but it's very challenging to connect the dots when you're looking ahead because life will always give you surprises, good or bad. Yeah, and I love this point that you brought up that 
it's so interesting how the things that we do because we're interested for example for you you know japanese or that when we're trying to take care of ourselves for you taking that gap year those are one of the things that make the most difference in our career exactly exactly that uh, i i love how you summarized it yeah i wouldn't have said it better chances are created along the way uh, seize it when you can and in the future of your life chances are you you will get to use it in surprising ways that you cannot anticipate today but i think that's the beauty of the journey mm, definitely this reminds me of my own journey when i um, so a lot of listeners will probably know that in 2016, I, I was really overwhelmed and confused and kind of similar to a gap year. I spent, I was still working, but I spent that year doing one 30 day project every month. So I ended up doing 12 side projects, um, in like writing, videography, just all these different creative pursuits, um, for fun. And I never knew how it would affect my life or, you know, be the foundation of my transition to being a coach. It was just something that I enjoyed doing at the time. So I really love your example too of like, you don't have to worry so much about how this is going to perfectly fit into your future plan, but you are on the right path when you're pursuing something that you really enjoy doing and the puzzle pieces will fit together later on. So what advice do you have for people who you know want to pursue something more entrepreneurial? And if you can share What's something that you wish you knew earlier before starting this journey so that other people can learn from it? Yeah, I, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't even know where to start, but I think for people who are debating about entrepreneurial journey is uh, talk to people who have actually been there, done that. And uh, I guess just like, like the great questions that you've been asking tonight, right? So um, try to get into the head of these people and not uh, you got you got to ask the questions what are the good the bad and the ugly because when when people look for information on social media or youtube or whatever public available information a lot of times it's the survival bias right so you you probably only get more exposed to the success stories but i think it's more important for you to hear the failure stories um, or the struggles or, and how they reacted to th these type of situations um, but i i know there are people out there who have always had an entrepreneurial uh, itch probably they would drop out of college and sometimes even high school to start something i am not one of those people for me it took me years but uh, i think it's a right thing for me so i i mean at places like silicon valley almost every other person is a founder right um but i think it's important for every single person to pace their own journey uh, and not to blindly follow something just because someone else have done it and it seems to be successful because every single person who seemed to, to be successful, they might have endured challenges that you would not want to endure. Uh, so I think having that perspective is important. Um, and it's easy to say, just go ahead and do it, just launch it. Uh, there are tons of accelerators out there who can make the journey easier for you but um and and i've talked to many other founders and i've looked at investment opportunities for early startups as well uh, as much as an accelerator and uh, investor can help you at the end of the day it's your baby right you are the founder uh you are the executive and you need to make uh, hard decisions when time comes right so it's very important to really live up to that expectation um so yeah i i guess what i'm trying to convey is just that for anyone who's debating uh whether they should embark on an entrepreneurial journey try to make educated decisions by talking to more people especially people who can share a more candid behind the scene view 
Um, and once you know the process, uh, on top of self-awareness, know what are your gaps. Maybe you're great, great at generating good ideas, but you're not good at operations or execution. Um, maybe you're a great organizer or leader, but you suck at programming. So you definitely need a CTO if you're uh, building something techie, right? So I, I think, I think it's, uh, nobody can build a company by him or herself. Uh, so once you realize where the gaps are, uh, try to start having conversations and potentially build together a, a core team um, where you can probably share some of the responsibilities. And uh, I guess finally just have the expectations that it's going to be a bumpy road. Um, and you got to ask yourself, what kind of commitment do I have? Is this, um, uh, if for for those who just want to test run a small idea, uh, I think 30 days is a great frame, but there were tons of startups for the first one or two years. They're, they're still uh, delivering their MVP probably. They still haven't exactly figured out uh, pro uh, product market fit. Um, so is your commitment half a year, two years? Do you have the financial security? Are you gonna eventually give up on this thing because you actually failed, you just kept hitting on a dead wall or because you just don't have that level of security anymore. And if it's a ladder, it's a bit of a shame. Although I know a lot of people unfortunately kind of fall under that uh, category. So. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot of great insight. And to build upon that, a lot of, I know a lot of like, listeners who are, uh, who are listening are creators and like sonopreneurs. And so oftentimes it's kind of hard to get a co-founder. So what I would recommend them doing is at least to get a coach so that you have a mentor who can guide you. For example, I probably won't have a co-founder um, just because that's the way I prefer it for now. Um, so for people who are similar to me, I would really recommend a really good coach if you don't have a co-founder yeah i think you're exactly right and the way you conveyed your value proposition has a lot of clarity um i think it's important for people to decide do you want to build a business that will fundraise and eventually get acquired big time or even go up ipo one day or you just want to manage your own business and be comfortable and kind of have more control of your own time um, and those are two very different business models. Yeah. And I know you talked a lot about self-awareness. So in terms of books or resources, do you have a favorite resource? Yeah. Um, I would encourage anyone who actually read Chinese to follow Unicurse. WeChat account, which is really just uh, uni, uh, U-N-I, and career. Uh, and we have an English website as well. But in terms of books, there are actually three that I want to recommend. Uh, I guess they all come from different perspectives. The first one is How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. It's by Scott Adams, who uh, do you know do you, do you know about Scott Adams, who's actually also the creator of Dilbert? So he's yeah. a cartoonist, uh, and he wrote a few New York Times bestseller. And this one particularly, I like. Uh, it has a tagline of kind of the story of my life, uh, and they give a lot of stories, uh, personal stories about his own journey and literally how he almost failed at everything and still won big. <laughs> and um, I think one specific insight from the books that I resonate a lot with is that forget about passion, but really think about patterns. So I feel like a lot of people would uh, kind of go into entrepreneurship journey because they feel that they have developed a certain passion for something, but passion is different from pattern, right? Patterns is how you actually live your life, where you spend your time and energy. And that is very important. There are a lot of fake passions out there. <laughs> uh, I guess, I don't know, one of my passion is uh, watching YouTube Korean celebrity K-pop, but I, I would never be a K-pop dancer myself or Korean dramas, right? I would never really be uh, in a drama. So I guess um, it's important to differentiate pattern and passion and to actually follow 
instead of passion, your, your patterns and uh, see how that can evolve. So that's the first book. The second book is for those who um, are not so sure about entrepreneurial journey, but want to advance further in corporate America. And this book helped me a lot uh, when I was at uh, BlackRock. It's called Executive Presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically talked about the three pillars of executive presence, which is appearance, communication, uh, and gravitas. And I think the contents of this book can be very relevant, especially to Asian Americans, um, that I think in order to get to the next level, it's not just about technical skills anymore, right? So I think this is something that can definitely help with our community. And I guess finally, for those who want to try out the entrepreneurial journey, and especially who have bigger ambitions, who probably want to fundraise or even become a VC uh, yourself, um, and I know there's a lot of VC-oriented books out there, but I really recommend uh, this one called Mastering the VC Game. It's by Jeffrey Boosgang, who's also an HBS professor and who's also a general partner at Flybridge Capital Partners. So I know him personally. Jeff is almost like a mentor to me. Uh, his own VC is doing very well. Uh, and he has been an entrepreneur. He has also been a VC. So it's like I've been an interviewer, I've been an interviewee. So he's able to share the story and, and how to, you know, uh, de-puzzle the game in, in, in kind of an insider perspective, which I, I found is uh, very refreshing. Mm, thank you. And lastly, for those who want to take that leap of faith into a more creative or entrepreneurial route, what's the smallest action step? that they can take right now? Oh, wow. Okay. I think that's a great question. I love this question because I always talk to people uh, whom that I coach or Unicris platform, the mentors coach. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, what are the action steps? I would, I would say two things. One, if there's a certain industry you want to break into, or a certain vertical you want to build your potential enterprise in, read up as much as, as much about that industry as you can. And if you can grab someone who's already in this industry, ask what kind of things are you reading, not just books, but also blogs, or maybe what TED Talks do you recommend, or even which YouTuber do you follow, which medium writer do you follow, right? So uh, just get more information when possible. And the more you're equipped with knowledge about a certain industry, the more you know where are the gaps, and that might be an area where you can focus on for your own startup. Um, And I guess the second thing is to ask for introductions. It's like... It's like, and I anticipate you to ask me this question at the end of our podcast, because you might ask me, is there someone else you think that I can invite? Is there someone else you recommend that I can invite to my show? <laughs> so, so I think that's a, a relationship is stronger when you actually use them. I feel a lot of Asian professionals are afraid of asking favors because uh, they felt like um, either they always have to return the favor or they felt like other people are busy or they're just embarrassed in general. But this is also another line that I read when I was in college and it had a profound impact for my entire career, which was the more you reach out to other people, the more other people will reach out to you. So I think the only way you expand your network and strengthen your relationship is to enhance that level of interaction. So if you don't have, so if for anyone else who want to be a coach or anyone else who want to, you know, do a startup, but I don't know as many entrepreneurs, I don't know as many VCs than today, you know me, today they know you. And then the next, next question they should ask, can you introduce me to someone else? Don't need a whole lot of introductions, just one, but that's a good start. Um, so I would encourage people to add that line <laughs> when you are um, catching up with your friends, especially the, the friends whose uh, industries are relevant to what you want to do. Mm, I 100% second that. 
in introductions are the reasons why I was able to get jobs without interviews and introductions are how I get a lot of new clients now is from introductions from people or from past clients. So I definitely second that. So for people who do want to reach out and connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, they feel free to add me on LinkedIn, uh, Danya Denise Wang, or reach out to me over my email, denise.wang at unicorn.com. Uh, but, but LinkedIn is a very good way. I'm on it every day. Awesome. LinkedIn is how I found, how we found each other too. So thank you again for this amazing interview. I really love how, you know, you highlighted how much of your previous background can help in whatever you do next and in the transition and that, you know, because I think oftentimes we, uh, I, what I hear a lot is that, well, if I switch into something else, wouldn't my previous background be a waste? But it's really not because you learn so much about what you like and what you don't like, what the gaps are and bring it in. So I super appreciate all your advice and insights about you know how to how to make a successful and useful transition and start something completely different thank, thank you so much I'm, I'm really happy that i was able to you know speak on the show i think for me uh, my life uh, is a lot about adding value to other people's life and that makes me happy uh, so i'm really glad that uh, if the audience can have a couple of takeaways from uh, our conversation uh, i i would be thrilled so many goodies in this episode, right? If you can think of one person who would find today's message really helpful on their career journey, please, please share the episode with them. It could make a huge difference. And as a big thank you for being here, one of the most common questions that I get is, how do I get started in a creative career? And so I put together a free guide that you can use to start taking steps towards a creative career you love through a side project. You can get that creative side project guide for free in our Instagram bio at The Arts Podcast. Enjoy and see you in two weeks.